It was July 26, 1975, 40 years ago this week. Mood rings and pet rocks were all the rage. People were jamming at eight tracks in their bell-bottom leisure suits, and Jaws was the film of the summer, on its way to overtaking The Godfather as the highest grossing film of all time. And on that day, Van McCoy and the Soul City Symphony hit number one on the Billboard 100 with their dance floor anthem, Do the Hustle. song that's message is simple and can be summed up in the two phrases that make up the entirety of its lyrics. Do it and do the hustle. But what if hustle isn't just a matter of doing it? What if, believe it or not, Van McCoy had it wrong? What if there is something more than just doing Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. This week, we explore the idea of hustling without moving. We talk to the co-author of The Misfit Economy, Kira Maya Phillips, and bring in a few other voices on the art of stillness. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. For the past couple of years, it seems like one of the biggest buzzwords in business and entrepreneurship is hustle. A Forbes article relays that three startup founders were asked, what is the most important skill you need to successfully start a company? They looked at each other and agreed, learn how to hustle. Other articles tell us why we need it, how to get it, that we got to do it. And at the end of last year, entrepreneur, investor, and speaker Gary Vaynerchuk released a video entitled, The Most Important Word Ever. So to me, hustle would be putting all your effort into achieving the goal at hand. And for me, that means making every minute count. I think that people like to claim that they work hard and smart, but they're not putting in the work, and they work nine to six. It's just not enough. And then hustle your face off 15 hours a day to get people to care. Stop crying and just keep hustling. Hustle is the most important word ever, 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 ever. Most of the messaging around hustle is about go, go, go. Harder, faster, stronger, more. But doesn't it sometimes feel like the more you should on yourself, I should be doing more, I should be working harder, the less motivated you are to move? Or that no matter how fast you spin your wheels, you don't seem to be making progress. And if I asked you to stop for a second to think about it, discuss it, you might be like most of the people I approached in New York City for a quote about hustle. Hey guys, I need five people to just tell me what hustle means to them. Could you give me a quick no, soundbite? I gotta go, man. I gotta hustle. That's I gotta, right I gotta hustle right See, now. See, that's right, you can't even stop walking. I love it, perfect. Dude, that was classic. They, would, they wouldn't even stop walking. Awesome, I love it. If only these people knew how perfect what they're doing right now is. You might be caught in the current and too busy hustling, or at least thinking about hustling, to be willing to take the time to consider what to hustle might really mean. What if there was more to hustle than motivational speaker Shia LaBeouf would have us believe? What if it isn't just 
Do it! Just do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true! Just do it! What if the work you have to do isn't about doing more, but about understanding more? If what you need is a little less grit and a little more grace? If it's not about going faster, but about taking the time to stand still? To discuss this, I reached out to Kira Maya Phillips, co-author of the book, The Misfit Economy, which was named by The Telegraph, Tech Republic, and The Huffington Post as one of the top new books to read in 2015. This book is an exploration into the black and informal economies of the world, but also and, and the characters who operate in this black and informal economies. And it seeks to teach people what we can learn from the unusual suspects, from the Somali pirate, from the former drug trafficker, from uh, the gang leader, from people who don't really make it on the pages of Harvard Business Review or Forbes or Fast Company. So the book is really a plea to get people to look beyond the usual stories and, 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 and to start I guess, listening to different stories so that they can have different um, and perhaps more challenging thoughts. I was enthusiastic to read this book as that plea she just described so aligns with our mission here at Where There's Smoke. To look beyond what everyone has seen or perhaps to look from a different angle in order to help spur new and challenging thoughts within our listeners. And Kira and her co-author Alexa Clay have done just that with The Misfit Economy. Over a three-year period, they trekked around the world to these dark corners to uncover wisdom in places where perhaps others are not looking. As Kira put it, the nooks and crannies you might be ignoring. And in these nooks and crannies, on the margins of business and society, they talked to pirates, hackers, swindlers, rogues, bootleggers, gangsters, and hustlers. Through these conversations, they uncover a series of principles that drive success for these global misfits. And the first principle in the book is hustle. And yet while the book does define hustle as making something out of nothing and taking destiny into your own hands, Kira believes there is an important aspect of hustle that seems to have been neglected in all this talk of go, 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 hustle your face off and work 15 hours a day. To me, hustle is about slowing down. It's about being still and it's about looking at the world around you and being alert to the world around you. And you are quite right when you say that we've come to use the word hustle to describe moving very, very quickly, getting as many things done as is humanly possible. And the hustle or hyper productivity is prized, right? People wear it as um, kind of like a badge of honor. Look how productive, you know, how efficient I am. And I personally think that this is really unhelpful because what I think should be prized way above productivity is actually presence. It's, it's not about the quantity of what you do, but rather how there you are while you're doing it. So to me, it's about stopping. It's about stopping because it's only when you stop that you can derive meaning from the world. 
um, when you're moving, you can't take it in in any way. Think about the word hustle, or more specifically, what it means to be a hustler. A hustler is someone who obtains their goal not just by forceful action, but also by persuasion, often to outwit as opposed to outwork. Which is not to say that the action doesn't matter or it isn't necessary. Of course it is. But what if the quality of the action is dictated by the mindfulness and presence with which you do it? If brute strength and quantity always won, Ivan Drago would have crushed Rocky. I must break you. And Daniel San would have fallen to the Cobra Kai. Sweep the leg. No mercy. But it's not always about being harder, faster, stronger, or at least not only about that. Oftentimes, it is the one with the right mindset, best strategy, the one who sees something the other doesn't. It is that person who wins the day. It's time to put some hustle behind this muscle. And so to hustle, to make something out of nothing, often comes from stillness and taking the time to contemplate what your options are, what you want your next move to be, and maybe seeing something in that that you didn't see before, that you couldn't. Because when you are constantly moving full steam ahead, you can miss a lot. In an interview with The Guardian, journalist, writer, and explorer Pico Ayer said, so many of us have more and more information and less and less time and space to make sense of it. He expanded on this idea speaking to Krista Tippett in an episode of the podcast, On Being. And I sometimes think we're living so close to our lives, we can't make sense of them. And that's why people like me go on retreat or other people meditate or do yoga or other people go for runs. That each person, I think, now has to take a conscious, conscious measure to separate herself from experience just to be able to do justice to experience and, and to process, as you said, and understand what is going on in her life and direct herself. And so again, if through hustle we make something out of nothing, it cannot be just brute force. It is not just sweat. It is not just hours. It is also mindset, strategy, and resourcefulness. But the very positive aspect of that is making do with what's around you, right? You know, being frugal and resourceful. But to do that, you need to be perceptive. You need to be alert to the world around you and you need to notice. And how do you notice? Well, you stop and you sit still and you get bored. And I think that that is a very clear benefit to stillness and a key element of hustle. Now, I know what you're thinking. And yes, what you suspected all along is true. MacGyver, that dude was a hustler. Life-saving inventions at a house of material MacGruber Getting in and out of ultra-sticky situation MacGruber He's 15 years sober MacGruber Yes, we know that's the MacGruber theme, but have you heard the MacGyver theme? Is this lame 80s synth track with no lyrics at all about how awesome MacGyver was. I mean, not even one mention of defusing a bomb with a paperclip. Not one. But I digress. To hear how this idea plays out in real life, 
I asked Kira to share how she's seen it in some of the misfits she's interviewed over the years. And while she shared a few interesting stories, I found the story of Dwayne Jackson to be the most relevant and engaging. I can speak to um, someone who really truly changed the way that I see the world. Um, his name is Dwayne Jackson, and he spent almost three years in prison. He was caught for trying to smuggle ecstasy um, from England to the United States. And he's actually a very competent computer coder. He grew up in children's homes all over East London. And he found an you know, old and abandoned computer in the dining room of a children's hall was he, where he was living in, and he taught himself to code. And fast forward, that was when he was 15, you know, fast forward five years, um, and he gets arrested. In prison, though, he keeps coding, but he codes on pen and paper, and he posts the code in the mail, and he debugs it over the phone with a friend on the outside. So he's got this very kind of resourceful hustle within him, right, that really allowed him to get through a very, very rough childhood. Um, but he said that in prison as well, he was also really bored. Um, 90% of the time, he said, you're just sitting there thinking, observing. And this was his training in perception, in frugality, in noticing the world that lay before him. You know, essentially what he said is that he learned how to live. Here is Dwayne himself talking about the value of this time in prison. What prison does for you so at no other point in your life do you get a chance to press pause for two years and think about where you are, how you got there. It just doesn't happen in day-to-day -day life. You might get a few hours if you're lucky on a Sunday afternoon, more likely a few minutes every now and then, but you don't get two, two and a half years to just press pause on your life and go into this other world, which is the prison environment, which is completely detached from society. It's its own little society. And just reflect on you just don't get that. It's almost a meditation, right? Over a very prolonged period of time. Important part in your life as well, sort of early 20s as well. Um, when you are really laying down the, well, hopefully laying down the tracks of what you're going to be in the future as opposed to just being blown around. Yeah, I think we generally don't get that in life. So I think I was lucky that I had that pressing pause moment. And so since he was forced to stay still, Dwayne was able to gain clarity around how he ended up in prison and who he wanted to be when he got out. And this time greatly impacted his personal life and his professional life after he was released. Now some of you might be thinking, this all sounds a little bit new age and hippie-ish, wondering what can be the tangible benefits of living this kind of lifestyle? How does this fit into the narrative of hustle and creating success? Well, what if I told you that just four years after getting out of prison, Dwayne started a company called Cashflow. And seven years after that, in 2013, that company was doing 2.5 million pounds in revenue, servicing 20,000 startups and employing 40 people. And it was acquired for a rumored amount of 20 million pounds. And Dwayne attributes much of this success to his time in prison, the stillness of the hustle. And what was going on at the time, so the, the business model for the industry was for all software to be sold as kind of desktop programs, right? And, and, and the perceived wisdom would have been to follow this path, you know, to build software for the desktop. But Dwayne was a web developer and he couldn't code for the desktop. 
and he also couldn't afford to hire someone who could. So if you look back, you think, okay, he's kind of stuck, right? What does he do? So he drew on experiences in prison, right? In prison, you can't answer the question, how should you do things, right? You can't do things according to perceived wisdom because you don't have any of the resources to do that. So the question that you become really good at answering is how can I do things? So instead of building a competing desktop program, he actually created his own accounting platform and he called it Cashflow. And he built it as a web-based service you know, on the cloud. And this was in 2005 and the cloud wasn't the thing that it is today. So the stillness actually allowed him to notice that his web development skills could help him. And, and in doing so, he kind of avoided falling into the trap of following the habits of the herd. And those habits were, you know, uh, leading to the creation of products that were being sold for $1,000 a pop. You know, we all remember this kind of desktop time where you had to go and actually buy software and install it and put in the key and, and customer support as well. To, that would help you, you know, use the products also came at a cost. But actually, Dwayne's model for his business was that he was charging a small monthly fee and he was providing customer support for free. And if you think about it, this is how we do almost everything online these days and on our phones, right? You know, we listen to music on Spotify and we pay a monthly fee. We do the same thing with Evernote. We write our notes. We put up our website. On, on Squarespace, you know, big companies like Microsoft have Office Live and um, Adobe does the same kind of thing as well, where they charge a monthly fee and you can, you can use their software as a service. So the beauty of this whole thing is that he arrived at this way of accessing software quite inadvertently, but by virtue of his life experience that forced stillness. His, his experience in, fr in prison was a forced three-year-long meditation. And in so doing, he became an early pioneer of the tech world. One of the concepts and lessons that jumped out at me in Dwayne's story is this idea of should versus can. I mean, people spend a lot of time persecuting themselves because they're not working hard enough. They're not going fast enough. They're not doing as much as others seem to be doing. And that persecution often shows up in questions like, how should I do this? How should I be? As opposed to presence, which is simply, well, how can I do this? And that is a really powerful difference and also a calming difference. Persecution versus presence. Can keeps you in the present. Can means you're accepting your situation and you're accepting yourself should moves you to the future and keeps you in a present in which you're not good enough. And I don't think that anybody can do anything worthwhile from that place. Lynn Twist is an award-winning speaker, author, executive coach, and global activist. In addition to working on several global initiatives that empower humanity, she works with individuals and organizations to find peace and sufficiency in their relationship with money. In her 2006 book, The Soul of Money, Lynn asked the questions, can we recognize that better comes not from more, but in deepening our experience of what's already there? Can we redefine growth 
to see it as a recognition of and appreciation for what we already have. A few years ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Lynn, and she spoke to this concept of sufficiency. One of the most powerful experiences that a person can have is dwelling in something I call sufficiency or enough. And that is the exquisite distinction of having your needs met precisely, exactly, all the time. In, in this context called sufficiency or enough, I'm actually not even talking about a, an amount of anything, not halfway between less than we need or more than we need, but actually a way of perceiving life. And in a consumer culture, it's almost impossible to find it because it's eclipsed by the chase for more. We race right past enough and don't even know that it happened. We don't know when we have enough to eat or when we've done enough work or when we've you know, said enough. All of that is, is eclipsed by this drive for more. But the principle, if you let go of trying to get more or thinking there's not enough, even suspend it for a moment and take a look at what's there, it's the precise and beautiful experience of the universe meeting you over and over again with exactly what you need. And the principle of sufficiency is the following. You let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need. It frees up oceans of energy to make a difference or pay attention to what you already have. When you nourish, pay attention to, and make a difference with what you already have, it expands. Another way to say that is what you appreciate, appreciate. And I think this is another big danger of how people are translating hustle these days. It is a scarcity mentality that basically says you are never doing enough, and in turn, you are not enough. And in that rat race, not only will you not likely win, you'll probably lose touch with yourself in the process. As philosopher Marshall McLuhan once stated, when things come at you very fast, naturally you lose touch with yourself. Loss of identity is something that happens in rapid change, but everybody at the speed of light tends to become a nobody. And here again is Pico Ayer. And I think a lot of us have this sense that we're living at the speed of light, uh, at a pace determined by machines, and we've lost the ability to live at the speed of life. And the thing is, those who really understand hustle, they get this. They know it's not just about grinding it out and working more hours. That it is not just about being harder, faster, stronger. You also have to be better. As a matter of fact, depending on your mindset and focus when you watch that Gary Vaynerchuk hustle video, you can hear that he understands this too. Let's listen back in a slightly different way. I'm just worried that people don't have patience. There's so many people giving up. Executing the way it always is, following the school business model, just such horseshit. Hustle is waking up one day, the day before you die, and realizing you gave it your all into the parenting of your children, the building of your businesses, the philanthropy that you wanted to do. Whatever you define, it's just, you know, all in, emotionally and executionally, in theory and strategy and in execution. Your talent isn't enough. You've gotta go put in the work. So yes, you gotta do the work. But what is the work that you need to do? It might be that you're being lazy, not putting in enough time, sweat, effort, or maybe that's not it at all. 
Because a lot of people are going full steam, but they're going in the wrong direction or they're using a faulty approach. It's like having a horrible golf swing and thinking that playing more is gonna fix it. No, you have to stop. Analyze the swing, change it, pivot, and then move again with a new swing, a new approach. And even Gary Vaynerchuk expanded on this very point a mere five months after he proclaimed hustle the most important word ever, he posted another video calling self-awareness your most important attribute. One potion inject, not hustle, not smart, self-awareness. I think being at peace with yourself and your skill set is such an important part of this. You have to audit who you actually are because then you're not gonna bullshit yourself. You're gonna storytell yourself, you're gonna motivate yourself, but you're not gonna yourself and once you believe that going back to Dwayne Jackson he comments on the clarity and self-awareness that is possible through a process of stillness and how for this reason he would rather back an ex-convict looking to start a business than a recent university grad I think if you go to prison you, you'll come out either one of two ways either really messed up which a lot of people do or you come out of your head screwed on a lot tighter which is why when I think about the Prince's Trust and the work they do People that have gone to the Prince's Trust that are ex-cons that say, okay, I want help to start a business, they're the ones that have come out with their head screwed on a lot tighter. So I'd rather be back in a, a 25-year-old that's just done a two-year sentence that's come out and said, I want to start a business, than a 25-year-old that's just completed a university degree and done this at the other and wants to start a business. Because the, the former has had a lot of time to think and he's still concluded, I'm going to start a business. And yeah, if he's served time inside and come out wanting to start a business and sort your life out, you mean it. It's not because, hey, that's a cool thing to do. You bloody mean it if you've decided that. Throughout these conversations, I found myself thinking of times when I have allowed stillness into my life and the benefits I have received and thinking about the word work and how often the work I had to do to create success had nothing to do with outward force and everything to do with looking inward. The hustle of taking myself on. As we go back to the end of my conversation with Kiramaya Phillips, I share one of these times, and I can tell you that these 10 days were some of the hardest work I've ever done. You know, it's on a much, much, much smaller scale, uh, but I've done two 10-day Vipassana meditations in my life. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you do a Vipassana meditation, all you do is eat, sleep, meditate, and walk. You're, you're not allowed to write. You're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to listen to music. You're, you're, you're forced to basically just live inside of yourself, right? Mm. And um, the first one I did was in New Zealand. I was traveling for two months. It was an incredible experience. However, it was pretty, it felt relatively easy. The second one I did was, was just outside of San Francisco and I did it in the, in the middle of my regular, you know, everyday life, right? So I'm, I'm working, I'm running my business at the time. Uh, you know, we're working X amount of hours a week. We're going full steam ahead. We're closing deals. We're doing what we're doing. And then on a, you know, Thursday, Friday, I take off and I drive two and a half hours north and I do a 10 day of Vipassana. And I remember that, that one was. I mean, I described it to people as it was, it was as if you went for a hundred mile bike ride and you just stared at the odometer the whole time and just yeah. went, am I there? I mean, it, I remember getting to five days and being like, okay, I'm over the hump. I can make it. It wasn't until day eight that I actually, <laughs> it didn't feel like every second was an hour. Um, and what wow. that really made me realize was just how not present I was in my life and how, you know, even though I didn't have necessarily a crazy life, I felt like I was, 
kind of that I, you know, we're just going and we're going and we're going. And I remember, I mean, what you, what you just described, I remember saying something very similar to my friends or what Dwayne described to you, like coming back and saying, we don't realize it. Like we need, to, you need to press pause because you don't realize it. And that was just 10 days, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Um, but I can yeah. really relate to that. I, I think that, that, you know, very, like as Dwayne said, I mean, very few of us get that opportunity or better yet create that opportunity, right? I will also tell you that coming out of that 10 days, I was completely reset, recharged. I had been grinding my way through our business and I wasn't happy. I had lost perspective on what we were doing, what I was doing, where my happiness came from and what I wanted to contribute to the world. My first day back to work, it felt like almost everything had changed when the only thing that had in fact changed was my perspective and in turn, my approach. The best description of stillness that I've read, and I actually read it yesterday, I read this wonderful book called The Art of Stillness by Pico Iyer, uh, the travel writer. And he wrote, he said, to me, the point of sitting still is that it helps you to see through the very idea of pushing forward. It strips you of yourself as of a, as of a coat of armor by leading you into a place where you're defined by something larger. If it does have benefits, they lie within some invisible account with a high interest rate but very long-term yields to be drawn upon at that moment, surely inevitable, when a doctor walks into your room shaking his head or another car veers in front of yours. And all you have to draw upon is what you've collected in your deeper moments. I mean, all you have to draw upon is what you've collected in your deeper moments. That is the value and kind of the account of your life. Like, how often do you deposit into that? Neither Kira or I are saying to just go sit on a cushion, meditate, and expect to create success in your life. But it is during those moments of stillness where we actually fill our tank and gather the wisdom, clarity, and mindset that we will use when we get into motion again. As Pico Ayer wrote in his book On Stillness, the point of gathering stillness is not to enrich the sanctuary or mountaintop, but to bring that calm into motion, the commotion of the world. Great hustlers are able to be present in moments of chaos. Like Neo in the Matrix, things slow down in their perception. When they are doing what people traditionally think of as hustle, which is moving and taking action, they have wisdom stored up, collected during the stillness. And this wisdom allows them to be more present, see what others miss, take more sound action, more meaningful action, an action that is aligned with what they value. And that is how you do the hustle. Best I'm gonna do it. Rock and roll. Hey everyone, Brett here. 
First off, big thanks and acknowledgement to Kira Maya Phillips for working with us to shape the concept of this episode, for a fantastic interview, for sharing the audio of our conversations with Dwayne Jackson, and for being a great human being. We highly recommend you read The Misfit Economy. You can also find some cool stuff at MisfitEconomy.com and keep up with Kira on Twitter. She is at this is Kira Maya. That's at this is K-Y-R-A-M-A-Y-A. As well, if you're interested in learning more about Dwayne Jackson's story, his book is called 4,000 Days, My Journey from Prison to Business Success, and it's available on Amazon. On Sunday, Where There's Smoke hosted its first Twitter chat, and it was a rousing success. These chats will now be happening every Sunday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, which is 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Time, or 1 to 2 a.m. Tuesday morning Greenwich Mean Time. And once we get these things rolling, we may even start a second chat earlier in the day to accommodate other time zones. Massive thanks to listener Maureen Delube for organizing the first Twitter chat and making us look like pros. And to our guest, Tara Hunt, who did an amazing job of discussing vulnerability and its impact on your brand, business, and life. Log on to Twitter every Sunday around five minutes before we start. Again, we start at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Type in hashtag WTSChat and you will find us. You can also see details on our Facebook page and by following Nick and I on Twitter. Two weeks ago, we announced The 42 Project, and we now have a handful of amazing visual pieces. Again, this is open to everyone. The concept is simple. You create a visual representation of a moment or concept from the show. These can be in any form of visual medium, lettering, drawings, photos, paintings, etc. If you want to create a sculpture and take a picture, great. Once you're done, email your contribution to The 42 Project to connect at wheretheresmoke.co. We are going to start sharing these pieces in August on Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, and Twitter, and we will be promoting you, the creator, both online and on the podcast. The intention being to further inspire people out there, promote you, and expand the message of the show. Hey, while I got you, is there a topic you'd like to see us cover on Where There's Smoke? Or do you know someone who has an incredible story you think we'd want to hear? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you and have you involved in influencing future episodes of Where There's Smoke. Email us or leave us a voicemail at our website. Lastly, Nick and I want to let you know that Where There's Smoke will be taking a short break from releasing new episodes. I know, and we want you to know that it will be no more than four weeks. It is likely that our last show before the break will be August 11th, although things can change. To be clear, this is just a short pause in releasing new episodes. It will not be a break for your lovable WTS team. We'll be producing new episodes to help us solve some of the issues you learned about in our process episode. Also, we need to figure out a monetization strategy for the show. As you know, this show takes a ton of work, and we are at the point where we need to create at least some amount of financial compensation for all the time that goes into it. That may be sponsors. It might even be looking to you, our listeners, to support what we are doing. If you have any ideas, please reach out to us and share your thoughts. We are open. 
So we will be figuring that out and also putting a bunch of promotional ideas into place that frankly, we just have zero time to do when we are making a new episode every week. But we will not be going anywhere. The Twitter chat will happen every week. We'll be posting online to Facebook and Twitter. And I imagine there'll be some other little surprises along the way. However, full episodes of the show will go on pause for four weeks. Promise us that you subscribe so that when new awesome episodes come out, you'll get them right away. In the meantime, it's a great opportunity to re-listen to some old favorites and lovingly encourage slash harass everyone you know to start listening to the show and catch up to you. Okay, well, we got a few special people to shout out before we close the show with the guru of motivation. Dina Solomon from Egypt, thank you for being the first person outside of North America to reach out to us and for being a part of last week's episode. You did an amazing job shouting out some other listeners. Ruben Ugarte for your voicemail from Barcelona. We have now officially heard from people around the world. Thank you. It's meant so much to us. Keep them coming. Whether you are in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Australia, Oceania, Asia, or manning the South Pole in Antarctica, we want to hear from you. Thanks to listener Isabel for sending us a psychology paper she wrote on happiness and joy in which she cites our What's the Meaning of Life episode. We are being cited in papers now. This feels incredible to me. Thank you, Isabel. And Velroy Collins for your email. It was so great. Uh, Twitter love, Sandy Pell at Sandy Canvas at Morning Roar, Lisa Wong, Rob Balaam, Kate Russell, Chelsea McKenzie, and Adele DeMayer. Find us on Twitter at Brett Guida and Podcast Monster and join our Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash WTS pod. To everyone else who shared their passion for the show this week, to us directly or with others on social media, email, text, or word of mouth, thank you so much. You make this thing hustle. To stay in the loop on all things where there's smoke, join our mailing list. On your phone, text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website, www.wherethersmoke.co. Where There's Smoke is contemplated, considered, meditated on, absorbed, purpose processed, hustled, bustled, and given all we got by me, Brett Guida, and Nick Jaworski. Check out Nick at podcastmonster.com. He'll hustle his face off to make your podcast sound awesome. And I help individuals and organizations get more self-aware through keynotes, trainings, and consulting. If you're interested in working with me, send an email to connect at wherethersmoke.co. Our theme song is by Des McKinney. Additional music in this episode performed by Comfort Fit, Danny McAvoy, and Kevin. Don't call it a comeback, McLeod. We'll leave you today with some more words of encouragement from this episode's motivational guru, Shia LaBeouf. Some people dream of success while you're going to wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible. You should get to the point where anyone else would quit, and you're not going to stop there. No, what are you waiting for? Do it! Thank you for listening. Just we love you. Do it! We'll see you next week. Yes, you can! Just do it! Do it! Do it!